Matthew chapter 25, and the reading this morning is verse 31 to 46. Let's start by asking God for help. Holy Spirit, we praise you that you, you are speaking to us this morning. We pray that you'd give us humble, tender hearts. We pray that we would hear your warnings. We pray that we would repent where we need to repent. We pray that we would live lives that give the Lord Jesus Christ glory. Have mercy on us this morning, we pray. Help me to speak clearly. Help us all to listen well. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so 25 verse 31. It's Jesus speaking. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you, hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. It's a courtroom scene, and I want you to imagine that you're in court and you're on trial for being a Christian. Not a churchgoer, not a nominal Christian who ticks the census box, but you're on trial for being a genuine Christian, a true believer. And let me ask you, is there enough evidence for you to be prosecuted? Sounds like an imaginary scenario, but it's not an imaginary scenario. I said imagine, but actually, I don't want you to imagine, but I want you to prepare. Because that is exactly what is going to happen to all of us one day. We're going to be asked, is there evidence of our faith? And we, what we see this morning is a true event that will happen one day. We've seen two parables just beforehand, but now we see uh, a true event. Did you see that in verse 31, the first verse, when the Son of Man comes in his glory? It's a description of future events. There's a future judgment that will take place. 
and the outcome will be eternal, eternal, uh, eternal heaven, an eternal kingdom, or the outcome will be eternal judgment, eternal hell. And the basis of that judgment will be on the lives that we have lived. In the words of Maximus Decimus Meridius, what we do in life echoes in eternity. Gladiator, not a church father. What we do in life echoes in eternity. That's exactly what this passage is saying to us. Now, children, you're at school. It's the start of the summer term. I hope you're enjoying it. I love the summer term, but I don't like exams. They're the things that used to ruin the term for me. But I loved having those favorite teachers. Did you ever have one of those teachers, if you remember school, or do you have one of those teachers now, where they tell you in advance what's going to be on the exam paper? Because they might not be the best teacher, but they are desperate for you to pass the exam. They're my favorite sorts of teachers. Well, there's a sense in which that is exactly what's going on here. There's going to be an examination. There's going to be a judgment, a test. And we're told in advance what's going to be on the exam paper. This passage is the last part of Jesus' uh, final words on his return in Matthew's gospel. And Jesus wants his people to be ready for his return. And the main point, I think, uh, this morning is this. Get ready for Jesus' return by looking after his people. Get ready for Jesus' return by loving his people. And let's just start by summarizing what is actually happening in this passage. So firstly, we see that Jesus' reign is brought to earth and he'll bring his glory with him now today jesus is already sitting in throne his coronation in one sense has already happened but there's a sense in which this is the coronation that we will see as he comes to earth and he'll bring his glory with him uh, again verse 31 he'll come in his glory and i'll sit in his glorious throne now, of course, we're, I imagine most of us are going to be watching the coronation uh, next Saturday. And if you're not, let me encourage you to do so, not because I want you to be uh, pro-monarchist or anything like that. But in it, you will see the glory of the United Kingdom. That's what you'll see. And it will be impressive. The glorious of the United Kingdom, the glory of our king and our queen, and not to mention the local celebrations that will be happening in streets uh, up and down the country. But it won't be anything, it will be nothing compared with the glory that we will see uh, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns on earth. So that's the first thing, Jesus comes in his glory. The second thing, everyone will be there, verse 32. Before Jesus will be present, will be gathered all the nations. Thirdly, there's going to be a judgment, there's going to be an evaluation or an examination and people will be separated Uh, They'll be separated like a shepherd divides uh, sheep on his right, or say sheep on his right and goats on his left. And then for those who are like the sheep, there'll be eternal life. But those like the goats, there'll be eternal punishment. Verse uh, 46, you see that contrast? There'll be eternal punishment and eternal life. And the evidence of this judgment, or the exam paper we could say, will be our response to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the substance of what Jesus is saying. It's very black and white. It's very binary. You'll either be, Jesus is saying, one of these or one of these. You'll either have this future or this future because you'll either have lived this way or this way. Now, we love sort of to nuance things, to say things a bit more complicated, a bit more sophisticated than that. Of course, they are in one sense, but that's not what Jesus is doing here. We need to feel the punch 
there's a division throughout the chapter. And that's what I want to see. I want to see these divisions come up again and again and again. So the main point this morning, get ready for Jesus' return by loving his people. And the first sort of division we see is this. There are two groups of people. There are two groups of people. Now, these groups of people have described as being like sheep and like goats. And the point is, is that superficially, uh, they look very, very similar to each other. Uh, sheep and goats, they're a, a, a similar size, similar shape, uh, even a, a similar color in the, in the Middle East with their dusty wool. They'd have been, you know, just for a quick glance, they'd look very similar. And they'd even have been pastured in mixed flocks. Two groups of people that are very similar. So Jesus doesn't say there'll be cows and chickens. So yeah, obvious, even from a glance, which one's which. He doesn't even say there'll be sheep and wolves in this case, which is so obviously different. He says there'll be sheep and goats who look superficially similar. And there'll be this division through all humankind. All the nations will be there. But part of that division will be a division amongst the church. Again, a big theme in Matthew's gospel and the New Testament is that will be those in the church, those who take upon themselves the name Christian, who aren't truly followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that here because Jesus is warning his disciples. He's not his speaking to the Pharisees. The start of this uh, monologue in chapter 24, he's speaking to the disciples. And you wonder why Jesus uses this picture of sheep and goats well, I think the point is they look similar, but so do people in the church. We all look similar. We're all bearing the name of Christian. We're all singing songs on a Sunday morning. But we're to ask ourselves the question, am I really a believer? Am I really a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or am I just messing around with a game called Christianity, with a nice social group of people whilst I live in Leeds? So Jesus wants us to get ready for his return, and he wants to do that by loving his people. And the first thing we need is to realize that some will be ready and some, some won't be ready. And I don't know how many people here this morning, say a hundred or so, some of us will be ready and some of us probably won't be ready. That is an alarming thing to think, but that is why Jesus is telling us. That's why he was telling the original disciples and that's why it's in the scriptures. So two groups of people. Here's the second division, two futures, two futures. Now, the first future is wonderful. It is to be treasured. Listen to the personal royal invitation of the Lord Jesus Christ to those who are his. Verse 34, look at it with me. Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Just imagine watching the coronation on Saturday. And just after Charles and Camilla are crowned, you hear Hugh Edwards in his Welsh accent uh, on TV saying something like this. Uh, We've just had a word from King Charles uh, and and Queen Camilla. They want to address the nation personally. Uh, So you're looking at the king and queen on your TV screen. And Charles almost very personally seems to be looking back at you. And then he addresses you personally. I'll use my own name for the sake of illustration. But he says... I would like you, Nicholas Algier of Headingley, Leeds, come and enjoy my kingdom with me. You may use any of the royal residences, Buckingham Palace, Windsor Castle, Sandringham, Balmoral. You may eat from the royal kitchen, be driven by the royal cars, use the royal carriage. You may hunt the deer in my estate, have your own royal title, share in the royal allowance and income. Come and be part of my kingdom. That would absolutely change your life, wouldn't you? You'd be sort of, what, how do I respond? Get on the phone. 
Well, that is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying to us. That is the invitation. Come and be part of my kingdom. He is the king of heaven and earth. He can share it with whom he wants. And in verse 34, he says, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. It's hard to picture Jesus' eternal kingdom. But I think one of the pictures I love is actually from the Old Testament where we get a picture of God's kingdom in the reign of Solomon. And the Queen of Sheba has heard about it. But even what she's heard cannot express what she sees when she visits. She says to Solomon, how happy your people must be. But of course, there are two futures. And here's the second future. Look at verse 41. Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. At first, Jesus says, come those who are his. But he says, depart from me, you who are cursed. It's a future away from Jesus' blessings. It's a future into eternal fire. Again, we're talking about the futures. It's very hard to be specific on what it will actually tangibly look like. But we are given pictures. Now, normally in Matthew's gospel, Jesus very frequently says there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. A place of great sadness and a place of great anger. But now we get a new picture. A place of eternal fire prepared for Satan. So it's a place of uh, weeping and anger, but it's also a place of pain. Now, again, eternity is hard to get our head around, isn't it? Uh, But sometimes it's not so much getting our head around of it's the hard thing. It's actually accepting it in our heart. We think, how can it be morally right for anyone to be kept suffering eternally? But here's a few comments. I just want to help us think that through because it's clearly what the scriptures say. And the first thing is this, the idea that hell is is sometimes called, or, or by theologians, this idea of eternal conscious torment. It is not something that the church has invented. It's the clear witness of the scripture. So look at verse 46. Look at the contrast. Eternal punishment versus eternal life. Eternal life goes on forever. Eternal punishment is something that goes on forever too. Listen to how Revelation chapter 14 puts it. Talk of people in eternal punishment. He says, the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever and they have no rest day or night. There's anger, sadness, and pain forever. Secondly, eternal hell is not filled with people uh, who are repenting. And so I'm sorry I got it wrong. Have mercy on me, Lord Jesus Christ. People still refuse to repent in hell. They hate the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Revelation chapter 16, verse 9, verse 11. Maybe look that up later. It's people who refuse to repent still in eternity. They hate Jesus. Third point, we are told about this so that we ourselves don't go there. We're the ones hearing it this morning. We are told so that we are warned. Now, we'll all have people in our lives that at present are destined for this eternal punishment. And we'll particularly feel that if it's personal family members, if it's parents or if it's siblings or if it's children. And it's right to feel that way. And it's right to weep over them. And it's right to plead with them to come for Christ. And it's right to spend every morning praying for them. But firstly, we're told for ourselves. We're told for ourselves that we don't head there. Are you sure you're not heading there? 
you look like a sheep. Everyone here looks like a sheep. But goats look like sheep as well. Your eternal future is at stake. Now, there's another view uh, on hell. It's called annihilationism. It's much more palatable. It's the idea that when someone dies, they just cease to exist, cease to be conscious. Obviously, it's a very sad thing, but it's in one sense easier to accept than eternal conscious torment. But our responsibility as Christians, our responsibility as ministers and elders up front here is not to say what's palatable. It's to be spokesman for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's all of our responsibility as Christians is to respond what Jesus has revealed to us. So we must take this eternal punishment seriously. And can I say, next time you see that someone uh, dies on uh, Instagram, a celebrity dies, no matter how worthy, if they are not a Christian, please don't write RIP. Please don't say it. Please don't like an RIP comment. It utterly trivializes reality. Of course, we all want to say that, RIP. But that is not the reality. And that's not the reality because God is just. God is just. So get ready for Jesus' return by loving his people. There'll be two groups of people. Some will be ready. Some won't be ready. There'll be two futures. Some will have a wonderful future. But for others, it will be an awful future. Well, how do we make sure we're ready? How can we test if we are ready? Well, here's the final thing I want us to see. In essence, there are two lives that are lived. Now, again, let's look at verse 35 to verse 36. Listen to what Jesus says. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. The first life is a life that looks after and loves the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, of course, the sheep, those blessed by Jesus, didn't physically uh, feed or visit Jesus. Jesus physically today is in heaven. But he explains, verse 40, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, the Bible teaches that God's people are united to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So when you do something to one of God's people, you do it to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a wonderful, wonderful doctrine. Now, children, uh, it isn't a wonderful thing at school uh, to have an older brother or an older sister. You mess with me, you mess with him. Oh, it's the idea behind NATO, isn't it? Attack on one nation is attack on all nations. Or the three musketeers, one for all, all for one. Or it's why when you look after a child... They say, thank you for looking after. The parent will say, thank you uh, for looking after my own flesh and blood. Well, that's how Jesus sees his people. And those who are looking after Jesus' people are looking after the Lord Jesus Christ, and they will receive an eternal reward. Now, again, we covered this last week. We've got to be really careful that we don't forget the gospel at this point. God has spoken time and time again through the scriptures, old and new, that we are saved by grace and not by works. And one of the really clearest places you hear this in Ephesians, let me just read it out to you. So, so, So we hold this text together with the whole of the Bible's teaching. The Apostle Paul says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, 
so that no one may boast. So we're saved by grace and not by work. So I guess then the obvious question is, what is the word, what is the word for doing in verse 35? Look at verse 35, for. What is the word for doing? Uh, let me read out uh, from verse 30, 34 again to, to see that for clearly. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world for or because I was hungry and you gave me food. Well, here's the answer. The feeding of Jesus or the feeding of God's people or the looking after God's people is not the cause of our salvation. It is the evidence, the sure evidence of our salvation. And the Bible often calls it the fruit of our salvation. I like uh, Brett points to John the Baptist last week, the beginning of Matthew's gospel. John the Baptist said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Uh, again, uh, when I was, uh, I guess, about uh, between about ages seven and ten, we had a garden with a very small apple tree in it. And I love the apple tree, great for making apple crumble. It wasn't me, but I ate it. And these apples went quite moldy quite quickly. If you didn't pick them up. So great chucking them at each other with, you know, not too hard, but a little sort of moldy splosh on the face of another child. It was great fun. Um, now, uh, imagine someone says to me, is, is your tree alive or dead? Very easy answer to the question. I could say, yeah, the tree is alive. For it has apples on it. The fruit of the evidence of the health of the tree. A healthy apple, uh, sorry, a healthy tree produces apples. Now imagine the tree died. I'd be very sad. No more apple crumble. No more games. But I could make the mistake, couldn't I, as a child? Thinking, I know what I'll do. A, a healthy tree has healthy fruit. I'll go to Morrison's. I'll buy a load of apple trees and I'll sep- sellotate them to the tree. Would that work? Of course not. Obviously not. Why not, though? Because apples are the evidence of the health of an apple tree. They're not the cause of it. As I staple on the apples, they won't give a dead tree life. So two lives that are lived. And Jesus says, inherit my kingdom for you gave me something to eat. Loving Christ and therefore loving other Christians is the evidence that Jesus Christ is your Lord. It won't earn you salvation. Now, as we close, I want us to consider these evidences that Jesus gives us. And let me say, if we don't find these evidences in our lives, then be thankful the warning that the Lord Jesus Christ is giving you. He warns his disciples. He warns them because he loves them. But don't respond by sellotaping apples to your tree. Rather, Come to the Lord Jesus Christ for mercy. You're a dead tree. Come to Jesus for life. Come to Jesus for mercy because he will give you mercy. It's not too late. If you come to the Lord Jesus Christ for mercy, he will give you mercy. He loves to show mercy. Later on, we'll see the Lord Jesus Christ hanging on the cross himself, shouting, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus went through the cross. He went through eternal hell himself so that we could receive mercy. And if we do receive mercy, we can be sure he will give it to us. The king of glory, who we see in verse 31, is also the dying savior. He will give you mercy. And if you come to him for mercy, if you come to him asking him for forgiveness, you'll find not only does he forgive you, but he'll start to change you as well the transformed life, the transformed Christian life. 
So what does the saved, transformed life look like? Well, Jesus tells us it looks like loving other Christians, particularly those who are in need. That's what Jesus says in verse 40. Look at verse 40. When the people say to him, when did we do this? He says, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. At least these are my brothers and sisters. Throughout the gospel, Jesus' brothers and sisters are other believers. Indeed, at the start of the gospels, Jesus even says his, his, his physical mother and brothers and sisters, they are not his mother and brother uh, and sisters because they are not ones who have come to him as their Lord at that point. Now, later on, they do. But the point is this. Jesus' brothers and sisters are other believers. And they are the ones we are called, in particular, to love. Of course, Christians are called to love all people. and we, we are, I'm not trying to undermine that. But there is a particularity to our love as well. And in particular, we're called to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, particularly those who are in need, particularly the least of our brothers and sisters. And again, what does that look like? Well, there are six commands given. Feed the hungry, uh, give drink to the thirsty, welcome the stranger, clothe the naked, visit the sick, visit those who are in prison. And let's just notice a couple of things about that list. Firstly, the evidences that you've come to Jesus as your saviour and Lord are not characterised particularly here what we don't do. It's a positive list. Again, I've had hundreds of conversations with unbelievers saying, if you were to meet God uh, today, if you got run over by a car, meet God today, what would you say to him? to let you into heaven and the answer very frequently was well I'd say I'm not a bad person I'm not a rapist I'm not a murderer I'm not a thief and apart from the fact that's an incredibly low bar they're all phrased negatively aren't they I'm not I'm not I'm not the picture of the positive life is not what you haven't done here but it's what you have done positively practically proactively towards other believers. A second thing I want to notice about this list is this is a life that looks like meeting the basic needs of other Christians. Because often what is most basic is what is most valuable. In one sense, offering someone a sandwich is nothing. But offering someone who's dying of hunger a sandwich is everything. So what might this look like in 21st century Leeds to live this out? Well, our basic needs are different from those who lived in the first century Roman Empire. In the West, we are much wealthier. And we have a huge welfare state. We have an NHS. We have all sorts of care services. We have a completely different uh, prison system. So the one that was run by the Roman system. So our, our basic needs are different to those living in this context. And yet we still have so many practical needs. There'll be Christians in our church, Christians in Leeds, who still have so many basic practical needs. We know this, it's told to us all the time, isn't there? There is a loneliness uh, pandemic, isn't there? That is what's happening. I think it's very easy to see if we just keep our ears attuned to it. Even within our church, people can be extraordinarily lonely. We often say that people say there's a mental health uh, pandemic, or I guess a lack of mental health pandemic, we could say. 
if you move to a city like Leeds, it is very difficult to find accommodation with other Christians. And particularly for students, they often come here and immediately away from home have all these huge needs, particularly international students, away from all their support network. And then, of course, just many of us being here for many years can have, can we really uh, struggle to have, uh, to make ends meet? The cost of living crisis affects us as well. But the point of all that is, is there are so many ways to serve Jesus and the least of his brothers and sisters. So ask yourself this question. Who do I observe to be hard up or lonely that I could regularly have around my house for lunch? A meal maybe, maybe a time in a home, a a time spent in a loving family home is priceless. You might ask, who needs accommodation that I could let use my spare room in my house? I could just let them them use it for a week, a month, maybe a term, maybe even a whole year. A timely accommodation can be life-changing. It's costly, that's sure, but Jesus' death on the cross was costly. And it's Jesus you're having over in your house. Imagine thinking about that. We've got a guest in our house. Who is it? It's the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of glory. That's who we look after. That's true. Now, I guess if you're a family and you have uh, young children, life can feel totally chaotic. I know we try and put on a good face uh, in Sunday mornings, but at home it's total bedlam. And if you're a family, you can often think, oh, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just too busy. It's too stressful to have people over. And, and that's understandable. But having people into a loving family home can be an absolute game changer for someone who's going for a difficult time. If you're in a loving, stable family home, there's a sense in which you are holding all the cards. And, and again, perhaps your children get a bit fed up with having guests over all the time. Well, it's good for them to learn that being a Christian means following Jesus, uh, loving Jesus and loving his people. So maybe the next time you hear your children complain, it's a slightly moany voice. Mum, Dad, who's coming over for lunch today? You might answer, well, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of glory is with his brothers and sisters. I don't mean to ask that in a sarcastic way, but that's true. That is who's coming over. And this is just thinking about our local church, isn't it? The, the, the opportunity to serve a far broader, particularly when we think about the international church. If we were preaching 100 years ago, uh, we wouldn't be able to make this application, but we are today. We know the needs of the global church. Just go onto the website Open Doors or the Barnabas Fund. Our brothers and sisters are in prison. They are hungry. They are thirsty. And the Lord Jesus Christ says the evidence of your faith in him is to love them and to look after these. Of course, we're not the, we are not Jesus. We are not the savior of the world. But are we showing compassion in proactive, practical ways? Doing these things won't earn our, earn our salvation. Only Christ's death on the cross can do that. But they are signs of spiritual life. And knowing they are the way to live, let us live this way. Let us think practically how we can serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I should just add that since we have moved here, uh, we've, we've moved here last summer, we have definitely experienced a lot of love from our brothers and sisters in Christ. I've been the recipient of this. How I know, testify, she's been a recipient of this. I know many of us would. This is not saying we're not doing this. Why are we not doing this? 
But it is a warning from the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? It's a call to examine ourselves. It's a call to come back to him for mercy. And it's a call to live out what it means to have him as our saviour and to love and therefore to love uh, his love him through loving his brothers and sisters. So let us get ready for Jesus return by loving his people. Two groups of people facing two futures who are living two lives. If you're trusting in Christ, keep going, keep trusting Christ and live his way. Love him by loving his people. If you're not loving his people, come to Jesus for mercy before it's too late. Before he says to you, depart from me. He warns those who he loves. He's told us what's on the exam question, uh, on the exam paper in advance. And he's warning us now before it's too late. Let's pray and ask him for mercy. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for warning us about eternity. And Father, I thank you for so many people in this church who are loving the Lord Jesus Christ through loving their brothers and sisters in Christ by meeting their needs. Father, we pray that may, may continue more and more. You have instructed us this morning what it means to be a faithful follower of you. And we pray we'd abound in practical acts and love and service to our brothers and sisters. Father, we've seen the warning as well. Father, help us to examine ourselves. And Father, where we see ourselves falling short of the evidence, we pray we would come to Jesus for mercy. We cry out to you now, Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Father, we pray you would give us the assurance of forgiveness that the Lord Jesus Christ brings. And we pray you'd give us the assurance of freer in our lives through acts of mercy and loving service and we pray you'd enable us to do this we pray that we would love each other well and practically wholeheartedly even when it's costly help us to do that more and more in jesus name amen